You know, uh, the self-help industry, I've been curious just kind of like um, how, exp- how much money does self-help industry make? So I started searching it out this week, and I asked my wife yesterday, I said, well, how much money do you think the self-help industry makes? And she made a guess, and I was like, well, that's a lot of money, but that's even low. Would you realize the self-help industry, when I say that, I'm talking about books and the motivational speakers, and I'm talking about apps that you can download and training videos, that whole self-help industry in America is a $11 billion industry per year. That's huge. That's a big industry. Any industry that it gets over a billion is big. And when it gets over $5 billion or $10 billion, it's like super dynamically huge. I mean, it's just hard to even possibly explain it. And these self-help writers, motivational speakers, want to tell us how to take care of me. How to take care of me, myself, and I. And then don't forget, they charge quite a bit of money to tell you how to take care of me. Which is just the opposite of what we've been studying the last few weeks. I want you to just listen to some of their teachings with me. plans, driving ambition, effort are all the means to success. And so that's the, that's the social hypnosis that we are born into that your master teachers, the people who have loved you on earth while you were, you know, in this body and even before, the people who've loved you are available to you. You can access those people. I always say to people when they lose someone, oh, now you have an angel you can call by name. Yeah. I excused myself and I walked upstairs to my meditation pillow and I sat down in my Zen den and I got really grounded And I asked the universe for help. I went into my meditation and I began to feel my extremities tingle and my arms go numb and I started to connect to that presence of a higher power of my own understanding, that reliable presence that is so familiar. Great people are called Pratasmaraniya. Morning you should think of them so that your brain gets set up like them or in that direction, the positive vibes. And the more you're in harmony with this field of intention, the more you are able to do all that this field of intention is able to do. You are able to create miracles. You are able to heal yourself. You are able to attract into your life the abundance that has been missing. But life is beyond that, and ultimately life is consciousness, and the dog is an expression of the one consciousness, different from a human, the human is an expression of the one consciousness or any non-physical entity. We are vibrational beings. You know, we're not just flesh and blood. You know, uh, if you put anything under a microscope, an intense microscope, you can ultimately see that everything is vibration. And, and as the scientists are not telling us, there's information there. But it's not solid. It's always moving. So we're vibrational beings. So as you were just saying, when we lift our vibration to what we want to experience, it happens first on a vibratory level, and then it shows up and manifests in our lives.
Did you, did you see the crowd in the one video? They probably paid $1,000 to go listen to that lady teach her false teachings. I'm just going to tell you up front, if you're listening to that kind of stuff and mixing it with Christianity, you're listening to a whole bunch of false teaching. You're listening to things not of God. I watched that video, and I was like, I got to go take a shower and get the junk off of me. Because that's full of stuff that does not align with God. You see, who you listen to is not only critically important, but it's eternally important. Because who you listen to determines your future. See, most self-help books... And most self-help speakers and gurus are going to tell you to put yourself first. They're going to tell you, take care of me, myself, and I. As we've already seen, though, that gets us into a lot of trouble because a lot of people will tell you Jesus is Lord and that he's first in their lives, but they live in their own little me-first world. See, putting me first feeds the flesh. Remember the chain? When you put me first, you're feeding your flesh. And when you put me first, it welcomes the world. Remember the rope? Welcomes the world to say, hey, world, you go ahead and take over and you control my life. And when you put me first, it delights the devil and Satan starts to string you up and wrap you up and tie you up and string you along. What did Jesus say about this idea? Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Jesus totally goes against anything we would hear in this world about putting me first and taking care of myself. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then Jesus said to all of them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save your life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, who does that include? Can you raise your hand? Does that include you? Anyone. Whoever would come after me, anyone who comes after me. In other words, if anyone decides to follow Jesus and put Jesus first, anyone who does that, then Jesus says, here's how you are to live. Here is the call of what it means to be one of Jesus' disciples. Here's how you do it. If anyone would come after me, he says what? Take up your cross. Take up your cross. Now, what exactly does that mean, take up your cross? I mean, we see a cross in church Weekly, you mean I got to take that thing up or, or have one over here? Does it mean that in the morning, oh, after I've taken my nap or after I've slept for six or seven, eight hours, and I wake up and I got to grab my cross and I pick up this big old wooden thing and I say, all right, Lord, you and I, we're ready to start today. I'm ready to go. I got it, God. And you got to carry this thing with you? Take up your cross. Hey, as you make your bed, make sure you're carrying that cross. Oh, let's go to work now. Now i got to fit this in my car. Not going to work very well, is it? 
Does it mean I got to take this thing? I literally got to make me a wooden cross and I got to take that and carry it along? Or does that mean I got to put a necklace around my shirt or around my neck? Or does that mean I got to put a shirt on with a cross on it and say, hey, I'm carrying my cross? Hey, as I go to work, I've got my cross with me. Let me wear it really proud. See my cross on my shirt? I'm a Christian. See my big old cross hanging down in front of me? Is that what he's talking about? He says, take up your, your cross. Take up your cross. What would Jesus be talking about? Because they would have been familiar with what a cross was in that time. They would have understood what that was. Does that mean that when I go to the hallways of the school, I should be carrying this thing along? Or, or I should be wearing a big old sign showing a cross? Is that what he meant when he says, take up your cross? See, some people have said that their cross is their difficult circumstance. I take up my cross, my job, you know, it's kind of a pain in my rear end, and so I take up my cross. That's the cross I have to bear. Some people have said, well, it's my boss. That's my cross. i got to deal with my boss, and she or he, boy, they just drive me crazy. That's my cross to bear. Others have said, well, maybe that's my mother-in-law. I would never say that about my mother-in-law. That's my cross to bear, my family relationships. That's just a cross I have to bear. Some would say, well, it's my, my teenager who's gone wayward. That's the cross I have to bear. L- let's go back to what Jesus said. I think that's always good advice. Listen, it's free. You're not even paying for it. And it's the right advice, and it's the advice that will never fail us. Look at Luke 9.23. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. I mean, before we even talk about the cross, Jesus says following him begins with self-denial. I promise you, there is no such thing as a self-denial industry. It would be broken. I thought maybe there's no such thing as self-denial books, but I looked them up and there's a few, just a spattering. But there are no self-denial gurus. Hey, come to my conference. I'm going to tell you how to deny yourself. We'll spend two days talking about that. Pay me $1,000. Who, who's going to show up for that? Nobody's going to show up for that. No one's going to pay you for that. But Jesus said, if we're going to follow him, then there are three actions that we must take. And the first action is this, is that we must deny ourselves. If anyone would come after me, come after me let him or let her deny themselves. That doesn't mean that we can't enjoy life. That doesn't mean we have to deprive ourselves of all the joys of this world and all the pleasures. As a matter of fact, I believe living the Christian life is the best way to live. And I believe it is filled with immense joy. And when you live the Christian life, I think you avoid a whole lot of possible pain when we don't live according to God's standard. 1 Timothy 6 says that we're to set our hopes on God who richly provides us everything to enjoy. In other words, this world, he's not saying, hey, I provide you all this stuff. Now, stay away from all of it. It's just who's first, the stuff or God, the stuff or Jesus. We submit our will to his. Chuck Swindoll says Christianity is not obedience to a set of rules or the adoption of a certain philosophy. Christianity is absolute obedience to the person of Jesus Christ. Absolute obedience to the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, instead of putting me first, I choose to put Jesus first. You do realize 
putting Jesus first is a choice. We, we, don't, we, we are not controlled like puppets on a string. We have free will. We have a choice. Will I choose to put him first or will I not choose to put him first? And it's a daily choice. Unlike the three men at the end of Luke 9 that we saw the first week of the series, you remember each one of them would have told you, well, Jesus is first in my life. But the first one says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And then the next two says, Jesus, Lord, wait, wait a minute. Let me go and take care of my family. Let me go take care of some stuff. Let me bury my father. Let me go say goodbye to, go say goodbye to my mom and my uncle and my brother and my sister. They had all these excuses instead of putting Jesus first. And Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, the religious phonies who said they love God, but they didn't do what he said with these words. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are from me, far from me. I wonder if that describes a lot of people in church today. Oh yeah, Jesus is first. I went to church on Sunday. Jesus is first. I believe in him. I believe in him. But then do our actions really show that he's first in our lives? Do our actions really demonstrate, yeah, I'm really following him as first place? See, it begins with self-denial. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself. And then Jesus also says it involves surrender and take up his cross daily. He's not talking about taking a piece of wood and carrying it around. He's not even talking about wearing a shiny necklace or having the Christian t-shirt. He's talking about a thing that you do every single day. It's an everyday thing. I wake up, and as I get out of bed, I say, Lord, today I surrender this day to you. Today, Lord, I am your child. Today, Lord, I am your son. Today, Lord, I am your daughter, and I will surrender to your direction in my life. We have to take up our cross. What does it mean to take up our cross? It means we surrender to his will. We surrender to His will in our lives, surrender to His general will and His specific will. Last week, we talked about what would be considered a general will that is for every single person that we are saved and that we are spirit-filled and that we are sanctified and that we are submissive and we present our bodies as living sacrifices and we're willing to suffer and we're, will- and we're thankful. That's for everybody who claims Christ as Savior. There's no option there. That's a general will. But then there's a more specific will. For some, like myself, God tapped my shoulder and said, I want you to go into ministry. Did I understand what that was at 18 years old when I said, okay, I'll go to Bible college? No, I didn't understand it, but I felt a a, a leading of God in my life to say, you take that step. And every sense, and he kind of unfolds that will. For some, it's to go be a missionary. For others, it's to be a youth minister. And some of you say, I've never felt God tell me to go any kind of thing of ministry, so what's my will? Maybe it's to be a teacher. But are you carrying your cross with you as you do that? Maybe it's to be a coach. But are you carrying your cross? What's more important when you're coaching on the field that they get the play right or they understand you love them because Jesus loves them? What's more important? Maybe your will is, I am the factory worker. That's where God has put me at. But you know what? I can be a source of encouragement. I can start a Bible study inside my factory. I can care for people and teach them about Jesus. See, we do all these by serving Jesus. And we say, Jesus, you're first. What's the will that God has given each of us? See, if we are going to surrender, then we surrender to the nudges that God's guiding us, to the Spirit's leading in our life. When Jesus said, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, the people standing there would have understood he was talking about a willingness to endure whatever it took to follow him. 
whatever it took when he was making the comparison to the cross because they understood the cross meant death. They understood the cross meant sacrifice. And they would have understood when he says, you've got to be willing to take up your cross, that he's calling them to say, are you willing to, to die for the gospel? Are you willing to die for the kingdom of God? Are you willing to give your in, entire life for what the call of the gospel of Jesus is? That's what Jesus was saying. He says, are you willing to do that? Look at what the apostle Paul said in Acts 21. Paul says, for I am ready not only to be in prison, but to even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul's like, you can put me in prison. I'm going to preach Jesus. You can kill me, and I'm going to preach Jesus. I'm not going to stop. What about us? Because Paul had that mindset, Jesus is first in my life, and everything else lines up before that. here's, Here's the preacher's perspective of what I see and deal with a lot. I say this gently and lovingly. But church, the world of the church in America has to change. We get upset about some of the craziest things. Preacher, I can't believe they played that song today. I I can't believe the music was that loud today. Why was the music that loud? Why was the music that soft? I wish it would have been louder. Well, people are dying for the gospel. We're worrying about the music, the volume, the choice of songs. What about these mask preachers? I can't believe it. I'm not coming to church wearing a mask. Why would I come to church wearing a mask? There's no way I'm going to do that. I can't sing with a mask. I've got a friend who preaches with a mask, and I tell him he's crazy. But we say, oh, I can't do that. Well, all the time, no, wait a minute, I'm going to the grocery store, and I'm going to go to the soccer game, and I'm going to go to the event at UK. And Oh, but no, I, I can't go to church with a mask on. Wait a minute, Bible study? You want me to put in some time during the week and do some Bible study and have a little bit of homework? You know, preacher, I am so busy. I got so much going on. When do I have time to do some Bible study? Oh, and that thing's on Zoom. How can we do it on Zoom now? I got to tell you, if I could be paid $10 for every time someone just in our body tells me the Bible study is on Zoom, I would be rich. Because you guys are like, I don't like Zoom. You know what? I don't like it either but it works. And there's people who will die for the gospel. We're concerned about masks and Bible studies and music and kids programming. There's not enough things for my kids at that church. Really? Is that what we have brought Christianity down to? I got to have the music my way and I've got to do this my way and the kids programming got to be my way. Oh, and communion. I can't believe we're doing communion with those little plastic containers. Preacher, do you know how bad those things taste? No, I haven't tasted one. No, I, I didn't sample like five of them in one day, getting drunk on my communion juice. I've sampled them. I understand that little styrofoam piece of whatever is supposed to be a piece of red. I get it. But who cares? Really? Is that what we're concerned about? Well, people are dying for the gospel. See, there is no crown without a cross. A cross was an instrument used by the Romans when they would crucify someone. It meant one thing. It meant incredible suffering, horrible pain, and eventual death. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to even die? It doesn't mean you're going to die, but are you willing? A simple thing. We need children's ministry workers. Wait, now, preacher, I'm not real good with kids. I don't know if I can handle that. They might spit up on me or something. Maybe they'll yell at me. Who cares? These kids need to know Jesus. 
And the one way we help them know Jesus is by them sitting in a classroom or playing in a classroom and interacting with adults who love Jesus and have fun with that and be taught the Word of God at their age level. And so it takes people to do that. I'm convinced a lot of people quit the church and even give up on Jesus because they believe following Jesus will fix everything. It's supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be their way. That is not the way of the gospel. And it won't happen until we get to heaven. See, following Jesus means we die to our agenda and we put him first. It's a daily battle. But doing so will bring daily blessings. We're not going to lose anything by putting Jesus first. I promise you. I promise you. If you say, today I draw a line in the sand and Jesus, you're first in everything I do, I promise you don't lose anything. You gain everything doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be easy, but we'll gain a lot. Self-denial is not something you just do in a privacy of your own home either. See, you live it out. And when you live it out, people see it. We, people see, why well, you're doing some things differently. You're living differently. You behave differently. You act differently. What, what's different about you? See, Apostle Paul used these words to encourage the church in Corinth with a life of self-denial. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. In other words, outwardly we're tired. Outwardly we're, we're, we're struggling to keep doing what we're supposed to be doing. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul's like, I understand this stuff's hard. And this was written to the church in Corinth many years ago. It's hard. Doing ministry is tough. Living for Jesus is hard. But listen, this is just a momentary. This is just a a, a right now struggle. Oh, it's been 10, what, 12 months or whatever it's been of dealing with a pandemic. Has it been hard? Yeah, it's been hard. But it's just temporary. On a string of eternity, it's one little dot we're dealing with. And Paul says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. That's how you serve. That's how you make sure that he is your number one. Jesus said, if anyone wanted to be a follower of us, he would demand three actions. Self-denial, put Jesus first. Surrender, take up your cross. Surrender the will of God and sacrifice. He says, and follow me. See, followers, followers didn't get a chance to choose the path. They didn't get a chance to choose the pain. And they didn't get a chance to choose the price. The path and the pain and the price are all in the hands of our Lord. Verses 24 through 26, Jesus was clear up front. There's a cost involved with following him. For too long, I think the church has made it too easy. I think I'm guilty. I've been proud of that. Hey, just come to Jesus. No, it is a serious call. And it's a serious commitment. But if we choose to follow and pursue the world and get everything the world has to offer and we ignore Jesus, the price we'll pay is incalculable and the consequences are eternal. Here's the great question. If we call ourselves Christian and, Jesus, and call Jesus Lord, then how can we possibly do our own thing? Think about that for a moment. If you say, I'm a Christian, and you say, Jesus is my Lord. He's my king. He's my maker. He's in charge of my life. How can I dare say that I'll just do my own thing? I'll live life the way I want to. Shouldn't we want to do what Jesus did? 
Shouldn't we want to follow his example? Shouldn't we want to live as Jesus lived? So let me just quickly walk through some highlights how Jesus lived. Jesus lived a life of self-denial. In Matthew 4, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and there's Satan tempting him all along the way, and Jesus could have succumbed to those temptations. Hebrews tells us, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted just as you are, without, but yet without sin. I mean, Jesus could have said, oh yeah, I mean, that, that stone turning that bread, boy, that looks like a good idea. I'm hungry. Nope. He denied self. He lived a life of surrender. Do you remember in the garden when Jesus was talking to his dad, talking to God? He's like, I'm not sure if I want to do this. In Luke 22, and he says, Father, if you are willing to remove this cup from me, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He says, I don't want to go to that cross, Dad. Is there some other way for this happening, Dad? He says, but if you want me to do it, I'll surrender. I'll do it. I'll follow your will. Lord, you want me to start that Bible study? People are going to laugh at me in my workplace. Yeah, I want you to start it. Lord, you want me to go overseas and give my life and be a missionary? And I'm not going to make as much money as if I was going to be an engineer. And, and God, my, my parents are going to be upset that I walked away from my college degree because you're calling me to go to Russia or China. Are you sure? Yeah, that, that's what I want you to do. Do it. Surrender to his will. You, you mean you want me to start a prayer group in my high school? My friends are going to think I'm nuts and out of my head. I don't know if I'll have any friends if I start that. When they start hearing that, hey, Johnny started a prayer group. Isn't he weird? Yeah, I think I want you to start that prayer group. We surrender to his will. That's what Jesus did. Jesus like, I don't want to do that cross thing, but I'll surrender to it. He lived a life of sacrifice. John 15 tells us, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The cross is the greatest example of sacrifice the world has ever seen. And the Father giving his Son... Given his only son, I, I don't know I could do it. Someone said, hey, put your daughter, Lily Grace, upon that cross. Put your son, Caleb. Put your son, Luke. Let them sacrifice. You think it's a little bit of a struggle? As some, I mean, you guys know that we've, we prayed over and Luke has been sent and he's on his journey towards mission work. And, and I understand right now he's still growing and learning. His trips are short. But there could be a day when he says, Dad, God's moving me to X, Y, Z in that country they take Christians' lives. You know what? That's going to be really hard to say. Son, let's go do it. Let's do it. But if that's the call in his life, he needs to do it. Jesus lived a life of submission. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He said, I want to do my Father's will. My Father has sent me with instructions and guidance, and I'm going to do that. He lived a life of seeking God. In Luke chapter 4, we see that Jesus went to the church. It was his custom. He was a Jew, so every Sabbath he went to the synagogue for worship. He gathered for worship. Wow, amazing idea. Let me just say to you, let me talk to those who are on Facebook for a moment. And I talk as gently as I can with you. It is time to overcome whatever's hanging you up from coming to church and gathering together. We love each other, and I'm glad that we have technology. Now, there are some, I understand. Brian, if I get out and about, I am at the highest risk. i got to be careful. Then I think you should stay home and be careful. Brian, I serve in an industry where I cannot pass this COVID thing to somebody else. I cannot. I work with seniors. Okay, then you got to be careful. 
But here's the conversations I typically have with folks right now who are staying home. When do you think you'll come back into worship with us? When do you think you'll gather in person? I'm not sure. I've just gotten used to being at home. I've just gotten used to coming down on my slippers or grabbing my cup of coffee and just kind of worshiping that way. And then many have said, I guess I'm just kind of being lazy. So I want to give grace to you who are worshiping online. Some of you are from a distance. You have found us. You're like, I'm worshiping. But even if you're from a distance, I encourage you to find a local home church. You need to find a local home church. It's great to worship with us. We love having you. But you need a local home church. And it's time to blow up the excuses. You say, how, how, do, how do you measure that? Well, I think consistency is the key. Be consistent in your lifestyle. You say, I'm going to the grocery store. I'm going to this event. I'm going to that event. I'm running around everywhere. But hey, on Sundays, it's just easy to stay home. I might suggest Jesus is not being put first in your life. Church, it's time. We need to come back together. I'm glad to see us coming together as we are right now. But we need one another. And we need you that are online with us. We need you and you need us. We need each other. That's what Jesus did. He was in in worship, in the synagogue. Jesus also in prayer. He sought God in prayer. In Luke 5, it tells us that he would withdraw to desolate places. He would withdraw for what? To pray, to talk to the Father. Jesus also lived a life of serving others. Matthew 20, whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was obsessed with serving. He was obsessed of, of giving to other people. Matthew 4, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, when Satan was tempting there in his 40-day fast. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I mean, Jesus was obsessed with it. If you and I are not serving somewhere in God's church, then we're full of serving ourselves. And I've already pushed on the children's ministry area, but you say, well, I need to find a place. It's not too hard. Simple email or simple conversation will help you get plugged in somewhere. We're starting to fire back up our first touch ministry and get that all geared up. Maybe say, man, I want to be, I want to be part of that. We'll help you find your area. See, what, what happens is this. We get involved in all kinds of community stuff. Coaching a team, I'm helping with this community group, I'm helping with this project at work, and we get so busy with all this other stuff, and it, and it may be good stuff, but then when it comes time to serving in God's kingdom, we go, I don't have the time. I can't put another thing on my plate. What I'd ask you, is the athletic team or is the, is the club at school that you're overseeing or is it the project work? Are, are any of those things helping people come to know Jesus? Are, are any of those things very purposeful where you're like, okay, I'm doing it because this is my ministry and I'm purposely having conversations. I've had people tell me before, oh, Brian, I'm a coach and man, I'm, I'm using that as, as how I get people to Jesus. I say, well, how are you doing that? Well, well just, you know, I'm just being there. I got to tell you, just being there doesn't work. Now, if you say, I'm coaching, I'm, I'm praying for these people, I'm inviting these families into my home, I'm having devotion with them, I'm sharing Jesus with them, okay, then you're probably making that your ministry. See, we get so many things, we say, I'm serving, and then we say, I don't serve in God's church. Temporal things that won't last, or God's work that lasts for eternity. Where are you going to spend your time? See, we are saved to serve, not to sit and soak, and sour, and signal our approval or disapproval of somebody else's service. We, we, are not, we are not Amazon. 
We are not, we are not the rating. I, I hate Google ratings on churches. They do it. Yeah, they do the Google ratings, Google ratings on Amazon, five-star, all this. And you got to live in that world, but it's kind of crazy because we've created this evaluation mindset. Oh, yeah, man, that singer was good. Oh, that singer was bad. Oh, the sermon was good today. The sermon was bad today. Oh, the heat was up. The heat was down. I mean, just all kinds of stuff to evaluate the church. Oh, it looks good, but it looks bad. And we get in this evaluation mindset, but the Lord didn't say evaluate and then decide to serve. He said, get off your fancy dancy and serve. Go serve somebody. Look what Jesus did. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed you to do them. What did Jesus do? He put the towel on of a slave and went and served his disciples and washed his feet. Listen, you're never going to be happy and fulfilled until you're serving God somewhere in his church. There's going to be something missing. Can you do both? Can I have a place of service in the community and a place of service in the church? Absolutely. And I think that's a better balance. Jesus said, if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Jesus did what others were unwilling to do. He wasn't afraid of the dirty jobs. He wasn't, he wasn't looking for the praise and the applause or the recognition of man. Here's the bottom line. A lot of people will tell you that Jesus is first in their lives, but they live in their own little me-first world, and we have to answer the question, is Jesus first or am I first? Call themselves Christians and would tell you Jesus is Lord, but live in their own little first world, doing their own thing, asking God, hey, bless my life. Bless me, Lord. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? and not do what I say. Why would you say, Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? So who are you listening to? See, it's not only critically important, but it's eternally important. Who you listen to determines your future. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We need to listen to him. We need to follow him. Bow your heads with me. Father God.